This Week in HPC. DOE antes up $100 million for Exascale. And wrap-ups of this week's HPC conferences. Hello, everyone. I'm Michael Feldman of Intersect 360 Research, and I'm joined today by my colleague Chris Willard for today's edition of This Week in HPC. How you doing, Chris? This week, I guess uh, Addison's out in South Africa. Couldn't quite get to him from here, um, so you're filling in for him very graciously. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing great. I am almost recovered from my post uh, uh, supercomputing slash Thanksgiving coma. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Addison and I were uh, were traveling this week. Addison's still there uh, at the conference we'll talk about in just a little bit. Uh, I went out to Houston, which we'll talk about that also. But uh, first, we had some uh, interesting news that sort of slipped by us as we went into the supercomputing. This was announced sometime around the same time as the uh, Coral announcements, the two big IBM systems that were going into uh, Oak Ridge and Lawrence Livermore. This was uh, uh, another Department of Energy uh a funding mechanism called Fast Forward 2, the second phase of the Fast Forward program, which is developing technology for, you know, ostensibly ex extreme scale computing. It's really the exascale, part of the exascale program there by um, the DOE Office of Science and the uh, National Nuclear Security Administration. And they, they put down $100 million um, over and above the Corral funding to, uh, to fund various uh, research by a whole bunch of companies. And these companies included uh, AMD, Cray, IBM, Intel, and NVIDIA. That um, AMD and Cray uh, went on to discuss in, in press releases they're, they're part of the programs, and so far we haven't heard from the other three companies. Um, so we thought we'd talk a little bit about what AMD and Cray had to say about their work here. Yeah, I mean, Cray had a very interesting announcement. I don't know. I don't think we've mentioned it on previous podcasts because it was, again, this was sort of lost in the pre-SC news. But Cray is actually going to be doing some research uh, with the ARM architecture. Uh, I think it sounds like two two sort of separate things. One is just. Uh, uh, researching the ARM in, in general, but they're also partnering with Cavium, uh, a company that recently sort of unveiled its 48-core uh, Thunder X ARM processor. So ARM, uh, Cray and ARM, or Cray and uh, Cavium, excuse me, are going to be sort of working together on one phase of this research that they got this uh, fast-forward money about, and that's that's quite interesting in the, from the standpoint of, of Cray because they've never uh, done anything with ARM. Or talked about it up until now, but as part of their sort of adaptive computing strategy, it sort of fits in well. So they're going to be doing some work over the next two years with money. They didn't uh, talk about how much money it would be uh, that they'd be getting, but uh, it's, it's probably a significant amount since uh, there's 100 million being spread out over these over these five companies. This. Uh this, this work with ARM reflects, uh, to some extent, the, the desire to, to use lower power or develop lower power alternatives for higher performance computers. Uh, yeah. And, and, that and, sounds like an oxymoron, but it's what everyone's doing anyways. Yeah. And it's, in fact, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a, a lot of different sites actually playing around with ARM architectures now. I mean, there's... there's uh, 
different of the national labs here. Of course, there's the Mount Blanc project in Europe. Uh, CERN is actually looking to uh, to come up with some prototypes for for that uh, project as well. And I think we're going to see some of these experiments expanding. So it's no it's no real surprise that the DOE is interested in ARM, just not just from the uh, energy efficiency standpoint, but just from the alternate architecture standpoint, thinking that it might be a, a very promising platform for uh, you know the post petascale supercomputers coming up. Yes, I think that uh, as as people realize that single thread performance is, has plateaued at, for the foreseeable future, that uh, the the entire HPC field has has been opened up for for any and all alternatives that uh, that show any promise at all uh, for getting us to the next level. And I and I also think that the that the market is really looking to hedge its bets in terms of processor architectures, and and have a, as many options for architectures out there as as they can get. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And when you look at you know some of the other uh, vendors in here, Nvidia and AMD, and AMD is actually being funded to to advance the research on their. Uh, APU technology—that's their uh, their accelerator processor unit technology that they've had out in the field for quite a while, and it's just going into servers now. They're getting uh, some money for, for the node architecture and the memory technology on top of that to to advance uh, some of this extreme scale computing. So the DOE is definitely looking to to spread its bets on the different platforms. It's not gonna it's not gonna be stuck in in just an x86 or even a an IBM Power. Uh, box for for the the long term future. Another interesting aspect of the AMD statement was that they are uh, going to be working closely with a heterogeneous system architecture or HSC for those who love it, um, and that is essentially a software framework for for attempting to develop parallel software or scalable software applications. And that's another theme we're looking at, which is a Sort of a general realization across the market that that just waiting for the system architects and the uh, chip architects to come up with faster systems that uh, end users and well system vendors and software vendors are really going to make major investments in in developing scalable software. Right, and the, and the advantage here with uh, the heterogeneous system architecture is AMD is is claiming this is a very high level framework, which is sort of missing from the the accelerator space right now, and it can be used to create uh, you know vendor independent or platform independent software for various things. I mean, people talk about you know you can do this to some extent with OpenCL and CUDA, but actually in in practice that's not quite the case. That those those frameworks are not quite high level enough to get uh, platform-independent code for the most part, but uh, HSA uh, is is more geared, is more abstracted. So they're just trying to get people involved in this. Um, it, it, obviously, it doesn't have a, a big following now in, in the current uh, the current industry in HPC, but uh, it is an interesting uh, framework, and uh, the the DOE award might give it a little bit of a boost here. So we've heard from from two of the fast forward uh, participants, and uh, we'll be keeping track to see uh, to see what uh, the other other companies involved in this project uh, will be up to. 
So we'll be keeping track of what the other participants in this effort uh, will be doing and report on them as, as necessary. Uh, while that was going on, uh, people were conferring in uh, Houston, Texas. Uh, the Society of HBC Professionals met on their annual technical meeting, and Michael Feldman was there to give a talk and give us his perspectives on that conference. But first, uh, Addison Snell, as we said, is in South Africa at the Center for High Performance Computing uh, National Meeting for 2014, uh, being held in the Kruger National Park. He also gave a talk, this time at the High Performance uh, Computing Advisory Council, which had a, a sub-meeting. And uh, to get things started off, uh, here is his report. Thanks, Michael and Chris. I'm recording from the site of the 2014 CHPC National Conference at Kruger National Park in South Africa, where we're having a great conference put on by CHPC under the head of Dr. Happy Satole and the rest of their event planning staff. This conference has been going on for several years, although this is my first time participating, and it's really blossomed into a premier event. I've enjoyed plenary talks from the likes of Jack Dungara, Thomas Sterling, D.K. Panda, uh, all of whom were focusing on models of parallelism in this new era of computing and how we continue to get to new levels of scalability. Very fascinating talks. The conference got kicked off with two days of technical workshops on Monday and Tuesday. Those continued Wednesday as they also had another excellent meeting of the HPC Advisory Council, which we we were very pleased to take part in. Uh, today, we had more of the uh, general session talks, some of the plenary talks, and tonight before dinner, uh, they got to announce the winners of the new student cluster competition for South Africa, which has been a major focus of the event here. The competition was won by one of the teams from WITS, W-I-T-S, uh, and they will go on to represent South Africa in the ISC cluster competition to defend the title for South South Africa, which is one for the last two years running. We've got another day of talks tomorrow, and that'll wrap up the conference, but I'd be remiss if I didn't say that this has also been an excellent location for a conference. People are finding times for little drives through the national park, and I've seen all kinds of uh, wildlife, including lions and elephants and uh, giraffes and, and the like. It's been a really terrific place to come. It's been privileged both from a uh, personal and uh, enjoyment standpoint, as well as excellent content top, top to bottom. That's back over to you, Chris and Michael, and that's what I've been doing this week in HPC. And now I'd like to turn it back to uh, Michael Feldman to tell us about the Society of HPC Professionals meeting. Yeah, I didn't have to go quite as far as, as uh, Addison did to South Africa. I just made it out to Houston for the Society of HPC Professionals annual technical meeting, just a one-day meeting out there. Basically, uh, the oil and gas crowd, uh, some of the vendors and users, uh, they like to get the update of what's going on in the industry. So they meet a couple weeks after uh, SC. And uh, first time I've been out there, but a very interesting group and a very interesting meeting. Uh, I gave a little overview of what happened at the, at the recent supercomputing conference and gave a little little uh, uh, some prediction of what was going to be coming up in the year ahead. But there were a few other keynotes that I found very interesting. One 
was by uh, Ron Van Holst. He's the executive director at Compute Ontario. And he was talking about how they are bringing uh, technical computing to that, uh, to that province, basically collaborating between public and, and private industry. It's something that Canada does in general, but it, it does it a, a bit differently than us. I mean, we, uh, when I say us, the U.S., they don't, they don't really have like national supercomputing labs that sort of are the focus of a lot of the big capability systems. So uh, at the regional level, they, they basically coalesce infrastructure and work together and share systems like that. But they tend to be much smaller systems. And the feds do kick in a certain amount of money, but also the provinces have to kick in a certain amount, and there's often not enough to go around. So the idea is to collaborate with industries to, to get more more of a critical mass of, of, of funding and users. And Ron's been working on that for uh, for a while now, and, and Ontario's been very aggressive at, at getting uh, some industry partners in there, and it looks like there's a, there's a nice future there. Without diving too deep, I, I think Ontario is, is going to become sort of the, the poster child of how to do uh, HPC in, in, in Canada for the, for the near term. The other interesting, or one of the other interesting talks was from D-Wave System. Now, we talked to D-Wave at at uh, supercomputing a little bit, and they, uh, Mike Booth, who uh, who works there now, is a, is a benchmarking expert, and he talked about some of the D-Wave application areas there. Uh, it was very interesting to this crowd because it's it's not typically uh, looked at as an oil and gas type platform. D-Wave, of course, does quantum computing, and uh, most of, uh, of course, most of the oil and gas industry is doing seismic simulations and that sort of thing. But the crowd there was very interested in, in what quantum computing might do for them. And uh, Mike went through some of the, um, the different uh, application areas, the NP-complete problems, the NP-hard problems, and uh, it, got, it got people thinking. Um, at the very end, I, uh, I hosted a vendor panel for uh, five vendors that were involved in the in the oil and gas space, and uh, I asked a number of questions. But the most interesting one, I think, was uh, had to do with Moore's law. I basically posited that you know we're we're fast approaching, and by fast I mean five to seven years, maybe a little longer, approaching the end of of Moore's law. And what did they think would be sort of the repercussions of that? It's not beyond. Uh, sort of the the strategy of some vendors now. I mean, if you're looking five years out, that that sort of becomes sort of part of the business plan for a lot of companies, especially the chip companies. And and people had a lot of interesting comments about that. I mean, the three the three sort of takeaways I got from from the different uh, participants there, people felt, you know, if Moore's law actually does come to an end, with within the next uh, five to seven years, it'll It'll cause a, a a much larger diversity of processors and computer architectures than we're seeing now. Basically, once we reach the end of, of transistor doubling, the idea is the the only thing left to do is rearrange the transistors now to make more efficient uh, uh, systems. So even though we're, we're actually starting to see some of that diversity today, but basically when the process technology stops, it, it basically would would accelerate this whole process, and I think that's that's a very good point. I mean, there's there's nothing much to do with with architectures 
um, beyond just rearranging transistors at that point, and that'll open it up to uh, a lot more competition and a lot more uh, innovation than, than I think we're even seeing today, although we are seeing quite a bit today. Well, it is interesting to to hear that you know that, that it sounds like like people are predicting the the complete end of Moore's law. Uh, at one point, it it started with uh, with with density doubling uh, every every eighteen to twenty four months, and that had to be uh, modified slightly to say. Uh, our transistors per chip so that the density didn't necessarily completely double because you could make the, the die size larger. Right. Uh, and then it was uh, clock speed uh, getting cut in half every every 18 to 24 months. And that uh, that died when, uh, when we started looking at, at how soon it would take us to get to the heat of the surface of the sun. <laughs> right. Uh, in order to power those <clears throat> those clock speeds, and now you you're telling me that actually the sort of the final issue is is how small can we make a transistor is has appeared over the horizon, and and people are beginning to make predictions that that that's going to stop as well. Right, without moving. Uh off of something other than CMOS, uh, there's there's not much choice here. Basically, you're 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 at the uh, you're at the mercy of the size of the atoms. So I mean, it, you could you could switch maybe uh, materials and 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 squeeze some more out. But at five nanometers, silicon technology, uh, you ju you just can't get much smaller than that and and do do the work you want to do. Now maybe there'll be some breakthrough that'll go beyond that. But certainly, uh, it, it looks pretty dire for this technology and and like I said for a lot of companies this is this is not that far away I mean you're looking at at just a handful of more of, of technology shrinks so you've got to start thinking about what you're going to be doing and and again uh there's there's different ways it goes now somebody actually brought up the idea of, of you know the 3d memory technology and 3d Transistors in general, or, or packages in general, that's that's one way to sort of uh, end around uh, the the doubling of transistor problem. You can start building these stacks up higher and higher, and, and sort of build more performance systems that way. So that that'll be one way with you know sort of heat dissipation issues in there. But going 3D, you know, will will buy us certainly a little bit more time if that can be done effectively. And the other aspect of this, people are saying once once performance sort of levels off with this and there's no follow-on technology, software becomes even more important than it is today. It's already very important. But uh, to get more performance out of the existing hardware, people have to uh, focus even more on optimizing the software and extract the performance from, from, that, from that area. You know, Mike, I, I keep on getting the image of a, of a kid standing beside a uh, a, a swimming pool, looking at the deep end of the water and knowing that that water is really cold and not wanting to jump in and not wanting to jump in and knowing that, that sooner or later that they're going to have to. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just feel that's the way the, the computer industry is, has been about, about parallel programming for a long time. Uh, a lot of people dip their toe in it. And of course, there's always always one guy who comes racing up out of nowhere and does an enormous cannonball and thinks it's wonderful fun. But most of the other kids are sitting or standing around the pool, thinking how cold that water is. 
Yeah, that's. I think that's a, that's a very apt metaphor, and I, I, it is it, it is a, a daunting prospect. But I think actually, in a in a sense, uh, if Moore's law does sort of end end all this, you know, transistor doubling at least for the near future, it'll focus people's attention on the software and and devote more resources to that and 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 encourage that sort of leap into parallel programming to a much greater extent than we see today. So, in a sense, that'll be the upside of that uh, until something else comes along and, and takes over the hardware mantle again and, and increases performance on that side. The uh, the group there from the oil and gas industry is very interested in, in, in other aspects of that. Moore's Law certainly is, is an interest to them. They're very compute uh, uh, centric there, that they they never have enough compute power to do what they're doing. In fact, uh, the the turnover rate in the oil and gas industry is is amazing. I mean, you hear about most industries, uh, most uh, are are turning over their their clusters or their systems every three to five years. Here, they're upgrading basically every year just to get the latest technology and the latest performance out of it. There's so much uh, uh, financial reward at uh, at stake here in, in uh, finding new oil and gas uh, reservoirs and, and being able to pump that out, that there's a lot of motivation to to get the maximum performance there. So it's a very fast-moving industry, and they're very uh, performance-driven. So they're all they're all interested in these technologies. The end of Moore's law, the exascale technologies, extreme-scale computing, accelerators, all of that. Uh, they're very receptive to hearing about the latest uh, the latest developments here and adopting it rather quickly. Uh, certainly before some of the other uh, more conservative verticals that that we cover. Uh, I've heard in the past that, that the people who deal with production uh, spend about half their time uh, looking at, at how well the, the wells are performing and how to uh, optimize performance at the well level, and the other half of the time watching uh, oil prices and oil futures and trying to determine what to, what wells they should be keeping going and which ones they, they should shut down and wait for better pricing. Yeah, actually, there was discussion at at this meeting, not not necessarily during the, the sessions, but uh, you know, around the break. Certainly, the people were talking a lot about the dropping price of uh, oil and how that's affecting what they're doing. Of course, the, the Saudi the Saudis are dumping uh, a lot of oil into the system now. Prices are dropping very very rapidly and have been for a few months now. That actually affects what what these guys are doing to a great degree. It filters down very quickly because uh, once oil drops below certain levels, certain uh, certain uh, areas become much less attractive to explore. I mean, people generally know that uh, certain areas are going to be very expensive areas to to uh, to survey and to prospect and to pump oil out of and and once oil goes goes below a certain level those those areas uh, become become much less attractive so they have to focus their their attention on other areas plus the money itself the money available to do some of the seismic work it, uh, just it lessens so people have to sort of scramble uh, in different ways to to get the funding for the follow-on work but uh, yeah it's a very dynamic uh, industry here and it's very sensitive to to the price of oil which which as we know uh, uh, this is very volatile especially lately. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of aspects here that you don't see in some of the other HPC verticals that that affects it. This is one of them. 
May you do business in interesting markets. Yes, and this is definitely one of them. So, yeah, I hope to go back there in Houston. It's a very interesting conference, uh, uh, interesting community, and uh, very receptive to uh, the latest goings-on in HPC. Um, I think that'll close it out for this week. Uh, we're, we're fast approaching Christmas. We'll, we'll catch the news as uh, as we uh, sort of wind down the year. But uh, it's been a very interesting year thus far. Maybe we'll see a few surprises as we as we come into December. Thanks again, Chris, for joining us this week. I think Addison will be back from his South African adventure next week, and we'll we'll pick it up from there. It's been- as always, Michael. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again. So this has been This Week in HPC, and uh, we'll see you again uh, next week. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. 